0: Welcome back to the podcast, Stephen Sully Study. Everybody knows my life is about business. It's about podcasting. It's about art. I have a big passion for for cars. So I think this next podcast interview is going to be a very fitting one to the lifestyle. And I think the audience are going to get a lot of inspiration and uh, motivation from, from the back end of it. So, Mr. Jay Cannon, welcome to the podcast, mate. And I'm looking forward to this conversation. Thanks for having me. Cool. So, you are the CEO and the owner of the Cannon Run. Um, I've seen a few different descriptions, but in your own words, how would you
1: describe what you do and what the brand is? Okay. So, we are a driving holiday company. Um, so, we put on package holidays for people that are petrol heads. Um, we do all different events, we do different. Um, Priced events as well, so we cater for everybody, so we don't leave anybody behind. Um, So our main event is the Mega Run, which is eight days across Europe. The locations change every year, but um, in a nutshell, you get a five-star hotel every evening, your Euro tunnel crossing outbound for you and your car, a VIP party every night or a VIP event every night, and then um, the daytime drives are phenomenal. So the roads are breathtaking, the scenery is crazy. Um, and the hotels are all you know 10 out of 10 so it's a rolling lifestyle event if you like really so I I actually done a little bit of homework on the Mega
0: Run 2023 and it looks really good so you're hitting London, Luxembourg Lyon, Monaco Bologna uh, Florence Senna and Rome and that I mean it seems really good value for money £6,995 yeah Um, for two people that is yeah obviously in in one car so Okay, a couple of things. How do you come up with the with the locations to stop-offs? And yeah. how do you price it at that at that
1: value? Um, it's priced relatively well. Um, within our industry, there is a few companies that probably appear to the outside world to do the same job as what we do. Um, and we've sort of priced ourselves very competitively within our industry. Um so yeah, that's that's that side of it. Um, the destinations we choose are always hotspots, whether they're motoring hotspots or lifestyle hotspots. So you touched on Monaco. Obviously, Monaco is the home of the rich and famous. Um, and Italy, Formula One. Formula One, of course. Um, and Italy is obviously the home of Ferrari, Lamborghini and various other supercar brands. So um, that's how we sort of plan it. And um, we do Monaco for two nights on the run as a break. So it's not constant driving. Um, but the best hotels, put the best events on like Monaco day two, we'll be at Nikki Beach for the whole afternoon, celebrating the run and having drinks. But it's also not just a package holiday, it's it's a networking phenomenon. That's how I can describe it. The people that you meet are of a very good caliber. They're all business giants or celebrities or very wealthy individuals from whatever their backgrounds are. Um and of course, as you know, when you go and do a networking evening, you meet somebody, you'll exchange a business card. You haven't built any form of relationship, have you? You've just said hello, introduced yourself, and then decided maybe you'll have a phone call at some point. With Canon Run, you're spending a week on the road, the highs, the lows, the drinks, the happiness, the celebrations, and you end up forming genuine lifelong friendships. And I've seen some of the biggest deals I've ever seen in my life happen on Canon Run for people that have just met each other. And obviously, they're, they know that they're all around a good circle of people that don't want anything from each other, so they all feel safe, secure, and yeah. As I mentioned to you before we started, you're 31,
0: I'm 37 today. Happy birthday. Thank you, mate. And um, part of my motivation to do podcasts and to, let's say, build up a social media following based upon conversations like this is so a younger person who doesn't even know this type of thing even exists as far as job opportunity, career, passion like to to build something I so the question I'm going to ask you is this like at 31 years of age when you were looking back at school did you ever think like this was even a a sort of a career that you could go down and even a business no because for me it was the more the conventional things the plumber sparky uh, you know, a carpenter or even like a doctor or a
1: police officer. Before yeah. the days of social media. Yeah.
0: So like how how did you ever even come up with this idea?
1: Um, yeah. So when I was young, it was I actually wanted to be a lawyer for a bit. I don't know where that came from. Um, and then I wanted to go into the scrap game because that's what my dad did. Um, but when I kind of spread my wings a little bit, I went on an event, which was, I guess, similar to what we do now. Um, but it was it was the best week of my life. Even still to this day, that was the best week of my life. Not because of the event, not because of the people that hosted it, because of my age, I suppose my um, uneducated mind at that sort of you know age, being out in Europe, sort of driving through amazing places that I'd never even heard of before. All the excitement and stuff, obviously it fades as you do it again and again and again, doesn't it? But mm. then was like everything was brand new to me. The whole world was new when we knew that sort of age. So I thought about the event when I got back. I've always been semi-business minded because um, my dad and my nan, I lived with my nan when I was growing up, they're both very, very, very successful in business. And it was always around me from a young age. So I kind of sat back and looked at it and thought that event was amazing. However, it could be 10 times better. So me and one of my friends, we tried to create something similar then. After that event, I actually met him on the event. and because of like the the name, I wanted to use Cannon Run and he didn't want to use Cannon Run because he was like, oh, you know, everyone will think it's your brand that we're doing it together. So we launched this little thing and it, it was never anything. And we were too young to know what we were doing at all. Um, so that tried, failed, was dead in the water. Um, and then I went off and just carried on doing what I've always done, which is buying and selling stuff, whether it be cars or car parts, or it was always something car related. Um, so that was kind of me me thoughts around the situation then and it just wasn't going to work and it was it was it was dead to me and then um, about four years later obviously I'd grown up a little bit and kind of head was in a different place I'd already been quite successful in another business which actually failed but wasn't through any fault of mine and I was living in Spain at the time and I'd been there for about three years and I was living in a heavily Spanish populated area and It was sort of getting me down a bit, you know, you couldn't just go into the shop in the morning and say hello to anybody because I didn't, I couldn't speak the language and I missed home, but I also didn't want to be at home all the time and have to work a nine to five job where I was stuck. So I thought about Cannon Run all over again, or the concept of Cannon Run without thinking about the name at the time, um, and I decided to give it a go. So Cannon Run was born, I was 23, 24, um, and... I released the Mega Run, which back then was just the Cannon Run. It was not ever the Mega Run. It was just the Cannon Run European event. There was never any UK trips. It was just always in my head because the other brand had done a European event, and that's all they did. And also Gumball were around at the time, and all they did was worldwide events. It was never in my head to do a local one. So end of year one, not one booking came in for a Cannon Run, nothing. I had loads of interest, loads of conversations, but... Nothing materialized. So I thought, right, I need to now do something where I can create traction, I can get content, I can have stuff under my belt within the business, but also not ask people to part with such amount of money. Bear in mind, the mega run back then was nowhere near what it is now. It was nowhere near as long or as prestigious or as expensive as what it is today. So the Canon run, um, Valentine's run was created. Worst idea ever. (laughs) Couples do not want to go on a supercar event valentine's weekend but still we had 20 cars book um i said online that there were supercars coming and didn't have any supercars coming at all at the time and then one day this guy rang up and booked on five lamborghinis for the valentine's run so he came and cannon run was kind of born then that was the created with the creative weekend i suppose where i just looked at it as no profit but plenty of content lamborghinis with the branding on um And then obviously, looked at the business again. Valentine's was not an option again to do, so Spring Break was created. So Spring Break is still an annual event for us now. Um, And it was a low-budget event, so four-star hotels, a short weekend around the UK, no ferries, no extra costs, no... I don't think we even included breakfast back then. I think it was about £350 a car or £400 a car. And I started getting good numbers coming in, like... 25 cars on the next run I was like right sound and then numbers were going up to 40 cars and 50 cars and I thought right okay this is this is going well now we're getting somewhere let's let's try and do the mega run again so it was called the Cannon run Europe European trip whatever it was back then and um I think I got about 38 maybe 40 cars booked something like that which was you know for me that was phenomenal and um we did, um, we did all of Italy and we did the Stelvio Pass and we did Lake Como and we did a little bit of Monaco. It was, you know, unbelievable. I'm 24. I've got 40 supercars out in Europe with my name all over him. And I'm like, my head's gone with it. Like not in a bad way, in a great way. But like I was like really, really proud. And um, there was a guy on the trip and his name was James. And he was really bubbly. He was driving a Ferrari F12. So to me, he was one of the big boys because I still wasn't really a supercar owner then. Like I did, I had a Ferrari, but it was on finance. So I didn't really look at it as being mine because let's face it, the bank your car until it's paid off. So yeah, he was one of the big boys and he bought a few lads with him who were also in Ferraris and Lambos and I got on really, really well with him. And um, at this time, I was working for Park Dean Resorts um, selling holiday homes. So it, that was the biggest commission in, sorry that was the biggest um, amount of commission you could get in any industry in the UK for sales so you're on like 25k a year basic and on like a grand 1200 quid per unit so I was doing like 15 grand a month so basically I worked there for 12 months in between stacked a bit of money and then put it back into Canon Run but went off on a tangent so I met James and I was stood at the top of the Stelvio Pass with my boss at the time he was actually on the trip from Park Dean Resorts he was in Lamborghini Aventador and he went you're not coming back are you and I went no mate I ain't coming back so after the trip, James contacted me and he was like, great event, mate. Um, probably a few pointers for you that I can give you. Um, you know, a bit of constructive criticism if you're willing to take it, et cetera. Um, and if you fancy having a chat about the business, come and see me. So I drove up to um, Preston when I got, as soon as I got back off the run. So straight from Calais to Preston pretty much um, to go and meet James. And I pulled up at this great big white manor house, which was like unbelievable. Went in, met his wife, met his little boy. Sat down and James is 38, now I'm 31, so he's seven years older than me. So it was like sitting with almost a sort of elderly brother figure who you could tell had no ulterior motive other than, yeah, he wanted to earn money with me, of course, but he wanted to try and help me even if I wasn't interested in his business proposition. So he said, look, let's go in on the business together. I can see a great light at the end of the tunnel for Cannon Run and I can see a lot of areas of the business that you're missing revenue from. So we sat down, we negotiated a deal and that was the new partnership was formed. Um, and that was about five years ago now, six years ago. Uh, and James is still with me now. And now we really are like brothers. Like it's a real good, strong relationship. We don't really fall out. We have the odd little bit career in there, but what brotherly partnership doesn't. Um, and together we're a great driving force. So that was the new chapter of Cannon Run. And then that's when we started getting real traction then because there was some some big people starting to come on board as clients and stuff. and that's when it started to get legs.
0: So um, I've only had one real experience of doing a, a rally, which I'll get onto in a minute. And we, can, we can talk about that. I, when I was doing one, I mean, I thought this is amazing. But at the same time, I also thought if I was the owner shoes or someone who had to organize it, I'd be so kind of intimidated because there's so many moving parts. You know, going from destination to destination, the cars, the people, the events, the the performances, the food. I mean, it, it's a minefield. It is, yeah. So, so the question I want to ask you is, what pitfalls
1: are in your business? Um, When you say pitfalls, what, what do you mean by that? Sorry.
0: Like the event. Okay, so you've got the business and then you actually have the event. So what would you say each and every single time you do it, you come across problems. Certain hurdles, certain challenges and problems.
1: All right. So I'll give you the perfect example of this. So when we were in COVID, we were very luckily filming with Sky TV for a new documentary at the time, which was called Spotting London Supercars. And we were a huge part of the show. And filming during COVID gave you the ability to carry on with business because it was an, an essential part of people's life to watch new TV. So obviously that rule stood for Great Britain. And that was great because we could do spring break and we could do September Slammer um, and whatever else in between. But I got really cheeky. And um, when the lockdown lifted, I rang my business partner, James said, I'm going to do Mega Run. He went, listen, it's on you, bro. I'm not, I I can't give you my opinion on this because I just think it's too dodgy, whatever. So I released Mega Run. And it sold out in 24 hours, like literally no spaces left because obviously everyone had been locked up. They wanted to get out, they wanted to get away. And the Canon run was the big light at the end of the tunnel for them with the mega run being launched. So um, <clears throat> 24 hours, not even, no, 20 hours before we're due to leave. Clients' bags are packed, cars are ready to go. Launch party is literally being set up right now at a venue in central London and France shut their border to Great Britain. like what are we gonna do now? Like the phones are ringing, people are like, what are we doing, what's going on? So we're now sat around a table like this, me, my business partner, my manager, a couple of other our other staff that we've got. And mate, we were on the phone to everybody. So we were ringing a barrister in France who was onto the French government. We were trying to pay 50,000 euro for a, for a police escort to take us directly through France. So we was only using it as a corridor. We spoke to the guys um, with the Antonov jets to try and fly the cars over France, but the cost to get the, the jets from Russia to Britain and then from Britain to France was just, it wasn't even doable, it was, it was mental money. Uh, we tried to book a private cargo ship, wouldn't happen, the dates were wrong for the ferry. If you go for the ferry from Santander to Portsmouth or vice versa, they only run out of Britain on a Tuesday and a Thursday, we, we needed to leave on Wednesday. So it was like, what do we do? It was mental, mate. So. We came up with with the only alternative that we could when I feel most people would have probably postponed the event Um, and we we decided to, yes, postpone the mega run, as you know it, until August, which was two months um, away from where we were sitting. But we also booked a private jet with 150 seats from um, Biggins, uh, Biggins Hill Airport in South London. Um, right the, uh, Literally 10 minutes down Yes, yeah, so we booked a private jet from there, um, direct to Ibiza. Now bear in mind, that's fine. We've now got the clients out of Britain into Spain, but I've got hotels paid for in France, two of them, a, a lot of money. And France, the hotels are going, it's not our problem. You can't get here. Hmm. So I'm like, well, it's your country that shut the borders. Our borders are open. So now I've got hotels out the window problems. I've got hotels to replace because obviously when we get to Ibiza, that was only the finish area. So there's only two nights of hotels booked in Ibiza. So we had to find another four nights in Ibiza for the clients to give them that time that they paid for. So yeah, that was a big problem, but we did it. And it actually worked out fairly well for us because out of the whole call list, I went, oh, Tom, we're gonna to have to ring everyone, mate. And we're gonna to have to break the news to them about the jet and stuff. And half the people were like, that's mega, let's go. And the other half of the people were like, yeah, okay, that's sound, but you know, we still want to do the mega run. So they were, some were happy to postpone, Till August, and a lot were happy to come on the jet, but there was a group that did actually both. So some of them came to Ibiza on the private jet, and then some of them did the mega run as well. So it didn't work out too bad for us in the end. But um, but that was like the whole team were going grey, mate. I was on the verge of like probably throwing up, sort of thing. It was real, real, real tough. Um, And COVID as a whole was tough. So. Normally, with our events, we can go to a nightclub or a casino or a very upmarket bar or, you know, whatever, and book out the VIP area for our clients. But during COVID, the hotels would open for us because we were booking them out in full and we were in a COVID bubble for filming. But No nightclubs open. So we had to then think, right, we can't just get all the guests to the hotel and then go, well, enjoy your night in your room, guys, because that's not Canon Run. So uh, Reset Music was born. Reset Music will become a registered charity this year. Um, and what we did last year was we um, we put out a campaign where we were looking for young artists that were from a not a great background where they'd had it rough or you know they'd struggled with day to day life or family or whatever it is. Um, and if they had a, a good natural talent, we would pay them for their studio time to get them in the studio, creating canon run tracks, music making music videos for them and actually taking these guys on the mega run and it's giving them a huge inspiration to succeed in life, showing them Marbella and the Pyrenees mountains and the Lamborghinis and the Ferraris and their, their minds are like, well, oh, they've only ever seen the streets of Brixton or, you know, Leeds or wherever it is that they're from. So that in itself was another challenge. We had to replace all the nightclubs. Um, so as I've said, bringing in our own entertainment. We've actually now got a full in-house rolling entertainments team, which is made up of uh, a few guys who sing for us. Turner, uh, SP, Joey, uh, a guy called Sean. And then we've got a couple of musicians as well. Um, Nino Violin on Instagram. he's um, He plays violin to like jazz music. It's brilliant mate, or to house music, sorry, not jazz music. Um, and we've got a jazz sax that plays the house and stuff like that. So they come on the whole event with us. So wherever we stop off, it's never dead. Um, even if we do go to the clubs now, we implement that in the clubs. So, yes, we'll come to your club, we'll bring you all of these amazing clients that we're going to spend in your club. But for doing that, we want to see our guys up on your stage because this is about a cannon run night. So it gives them an opportunity to get in front of a crowd, to get comfortable on the on the stage, on the mic, um, and it just gives them a taste of something that they've never experienced. And hopefully with our platform, yes, we're not the biggest thing in the world, but we can put them on a bit of a bigger platform than what they're currently on and hopefully expose them to the people like you guys who see us through social media. Um, You've probably been asked this a million
0: times, but I just want to get it straight from the horse's mouth. With a business like yours, I imagine, I've never run one, um, having a lot of wealthy individuals... Late nights, drinking, everything else that comes with it. And then also got supercars. Yes. After a few days, <clears throat> I've experienced this myself where you feel fatigued and you're going fast and you know that something could go wrong. Yeah. Have you ever
1: had any crashes on the Cannon Run? Touchwood, we've got a 99% safety rating. And the way I'm working that rating out, by the way, is one crash, 1%. <laughs> so when I'm down to zero, you know, there's been 100 crashes. So I'd say 99%, there was a crash on Mega Run this year um, and it was of no fault of of the guys at all. So basically he had a blowout and he was doing about 90 mile an hour on the motorway. Yes, he was doing 10 mile an hour of the speed limit, but unfortunately it did cause him to lose control of his car. However, on the Canon run, which is what you won't see on any other rally is, we have two of our own prestigious built recovery vehicles that are designed for supercars. So our um, lorry was 20 minutes behind him straight on the hard shoulder, recovered the car. And also on the cannon run, which we've done through just lessons, really, of the business. We bring two paramedics on the trip with us that are currently in service with Liverpool Ambulance. Um, Gentleman's name's Craig and the lady's name's Jodie. Um, And they were literally 10 minutes behind him in one of our cannon run vehicles. So within 15, 20 minutes, we had a recovery vehicle on scene, cannon run, cannon run paramedics on scene before the police had even got there. So it's like... Yes, accidents can happen. Touch wood, they don't. We do major safety briefings. And one thing that I say in every single briefing is, if I catch you dangerous driving, and I'm talking like dangerous where you're overtaking on a blind bend, or you undertake somebody on the hard shoulder, you're gone. It's not even a conversation. I won't be coming over and going, mate, please don't do that again. I'm gonna be coming over and going, listen, you're not welcome. You have to leave in the nicest, most respectable way, you can't be around my people because if you kill somebody, you cause a big accident. You damage one of our brands that we're involved with. It's us that has to answer for it, and we've built a fairly good reputation in that way. And we won't have it. We won't have it tarnished. That's the bottom line. What, what car was it though, crashed? Audi R8. <clears throat> Expensive bill for the for the owner. Expensive bill for the insurance. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. um, no, it's um, oh good. mate. The car was brought back to the UK. Uh, it was a write off, and as far as I'm aware, the guys have been paid out. So that's good.
0: Okay. So um, I touched on earlier about uh, my only experience was this year from Toronto down to Miami. And um, like I mentioned earlier, I'm 37 years of age today. When I was younger and YouTube started becoming a thing, there was always the, the supercars was looking at and it would always take you to Gobble Rally. And for, for many, many years, I was like, oh, my God, that is the epitome of like being, being successful. Obviously, now I know... Um, growing up as more of a business person although there's more to life than just supercars but when I was younger having a nice watch having a bit of a nice lifestyle having a nice car a Lamborghini or a Ferrari um, I kind of felt that that was the be all and end of being successful so I, I always wanted to become going to this Gumball Rally and everything I thought it was going to be it, it was and also better I've got not one bad thing to say about that I thought it was
1: great so when you said you said that you was a bit fatigued on Gumball is that right yeah yeah So that's why on Cannon Run, we implement a two-day break halfway through. And on Cannon Run, we don't do a party at a nightclub every night. So we calculate the days. On the short days, we'll have a big party in the evening where there's a short day. The next day where you can do an 11 a.m. checkout and have a late start. But on a heavy driving day, you'll find yourself seated in a really upmarket restaurant, three-course meal sort of thing. Or there'll be an in-house evening at the hotel. The hotels are all phenomenal. But we can't have tired drivers, a mix of drink driving or any of that, because let's face it, the police come down on you very hard and it's not the individual client that's gonna get the problem in the press, it's gonna be the cannon run. Yeah. So we really, really planned the trip to be a late night here with a late start the next day and a short drive and the two-day break in between gives you a massive energy boost. Obviously, you're relaxing in Monaco. Yeah, you're going to go out and have a drink, of course, but the next day you can get up at one o'clock in the afternoon if that's what makes you happy. You've got plenty of time to recharge on the cannon run. So whereas, I know Gumball, a lot of people call it a rolling party. This is a rolling, relaxing, adventure holiday with a sprinkling of Monaco nightlife in between. I've got, to, I've got to be honest, I think part of, well, probably the
0: biggest thing to blame for that is because where it's my first time, I just wanted to give it 110%. So I was trying to do all the clubs, also trying to get up early and do all the driving and I was very much to blame for, blame for that. But now it's at my system once, I feel if I do it again, which I'm planning to do, um, I'll treat it a bit more like, a bit more kind of uh, relaxed intensity. Anyway, the question I was coming to is this, which you probably get asked all the time, Jay, Okay. What is the difference between the Gumball Rally and the Cannon Run? The Cannon Run's an affordable
1: price. That's that's the difference. Okay. <clears throat> so the hotels, I, I know um, the hotels that are used on Gumball um, and I know they're, they're no different calibre to ours. Like when we stay in Monaco, it's the Hermitage. Um, when we stay in Marbella, it was the um, Villa Padien, which was actually a six-star hotel. It's now been reduced to five. I don't know why their star system was mixed up, but the hotels are phenomenal. What you do get on Gumball um, from a visual perspective, from what I can see is you get huge crowds. What we find is we've pulled crowds in plenty of times. We've done it in the past. We find a lot of our clients who have a 250 grand watch on their wrist, a bag with their jewellery in or whatever it is. Because you know these guys that are are really up there you know, money-wise, they they do have valuable things with them on the events. It's a lifestyle event and that's a fact. And we don't ever want to see anybody get in a predicament where a watch has gone missing or something's happened in a malicious way from a member of the public, because we are in a new day and age. And as you know, you live in London yourself, watch crime and stuff is a real thing now. The last thing we want is one of our clients to come unstuck in a city where they're not comfortable um, and they're far away from home. So we try and keep our routes very private. Yes. You know, the city stops you don't know unless you book onto the cannon run and neither do the cannon runners. They know briefly what you know, and I'll speak to them on the phone as a client, but they won't know the exact routes, times and days until they get their itinerary on the morning of the event. So the crowds look amazing on Gumball, but for me, there's a huge safety aspect there, a huge, a a safety element to come into it like. Um, And I've seen it happen, you know, I've seen it before. So yeah, um, quality wise, I I don't believe we're any different at all. We carry your luggage for you. We recover your cars for you if you break down. We own our own coaches to take you to and from the evening events. We actually go above and beyond, I believe, any other business that do what we do, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And I think because I was not the first person to do it. Obviously, Max was the first person to ever create a rally, wasn't he really? Obviously, Cannonball was a thing on the film and stuff like that over in America, but Gumball was the real first rally, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, So he has been able to set his prices where he wants and benchmark what he wants to, hasn't he? Because there was no one else out there to compete. But if you're going to go into that sort of industry, you need to have reasons why people are going to look at you and consider you and not them. Um, and you know we do have a few few clients now, a fair few clients that have been on Gumball, um, and they can, they come on our event, and our event is different to Gumball's in a lot of ways. As I've said to you, it's not a rolling rock star party; it's a networking holiday with a little bit of amazing nightlife sprinkled in between, so that there's the safety still there. Um, but yeah, I think value wise, value for money. Obviously, Canon Run is seven grand as you said for two people. You get a week. Um, you get everything Gumball give you but in my opinion you get a little bit more um, because we do the extra stuff like I said the recoveries, the luggage, all that
0: Yeah, look, it's no different to what we've got
1: here so me and my business partner, we're not per
0: se from the art market, we found ourselves right place right time, I'm the founder so I founded the brand back in 2014 and did I ever really visualise that I would have a a gallery in Mayfair, bearing in mind we've only been here for just over a month we launch next week on the 21st and I've got I've, I know from clients and also from people I've spoken to that there are the old school galleries in Mayfair who have been around for decades. They've been a family members have handed down the galleries down to their their, their their family members. So to have two young guys who are not per se from the art market rock into this space, we're actually disrupting the industry, and that's our, that's what our intention. Liking. Yeah, good. Yeah, we yeah. want to take an already existing model, yeah. and tweak it, yeah, and make tweak it, yeah. make it a little bit more. Youthful, yeah. or a little bit more younger. So I, I totally resonate with with, with what you've done. Yeah, I but a, sorry. But as you were sort of getting into this space, were there, you know, did you get inspired from what anyone else was doing in your space, and also
1: Gumball, or did you have any challenges from them? Yeah, I had plenty of challenges, mate. So we did um, a European event, which was three thousand kilometers. So the event was called the Cannon Room three thousand. So. Little old Jay, not much money around him, quite young, gets a letter come through from Maximilian um, and Gumball, um, cease and desist basically, which if you don't know what that means, it's cease and desist letter is you either shut your doors or we're taking you to court. Um, and the reasons were listed things like copyright infringement, um, oh, there's loads of stuff on there which were just, was actually a lot of stuff that wasn't even correct. And it was sent from a real big law firm in London. Um, and obviously, that's very intimidating for someone that's not in a hugely financial stable position, which I wasn't, and I was in a new business, which was the Canon run. Um, so long story short, it ended up, it ended up costing me 25 grand um, and it never even went to court. But I believe three or four other companies actually shut their doors that day um, because they received letters as well. Uh, and that was a bit of a kick in the teeth for me because, you know, no matter what my opinion is now, Gumball is, and especially back then was, like a huge inspiration. Like it was mental when it used to watch Gumball's stuff. And it, I think back then it wasn't even, well, there was no social media when I used to see Gumball stuff. I think there was, a Gumball did a couple of DVDs that went out in magazines and stuff. Um, and watching it, I was like, that is unreal. And to be fair, I watch Gumball now and I'm like, lads, smashed it, like it's serious. And it? it's a completely different league, mate. But again, the price is a completely different league. So their budgets a completely different league. Um, But yeah, um, so that was a bit of a kick in the teeth. But we overcame the problem. I'm still here. I'm not going to be going anywhere anytime soon. Um, And it'll take a lot more than a letter from a law firm to put me anywhere, to be honest. yeah.
0: So like a lot of people in your space, including Gumball, and I've seen there's a few other, there's like the Gold Rush uh, brand.
1: Yeah, so Gold Rush is is abroad. It's in America. They don't come out of America. So they're no... They're no problem for us. I actually follow Gold Rush. I think they've got a great event. I think it looks spectacular online. They've got some amazing people involved, and their roots are phenomenal. But that's they're in their country doing their thing. We're over here doing our thing. So if anyone from Gold Rush is watching, mad respect, guys. So I know there's a few few different
0: people, and it does seem like you draw in a lot of successful people. Obviously, the cars, the women, the lavish lifestyle, and then you have the high profile people, whether they're celebrities, whether they're well known footballers or, uh, you know, athletes, boxers, etc., And a few of the podcast guests I've had on, such as uh, Tama Sand, Dapper Laughs, have, have actually been on the the the, the cannon Run. run. Yeah. So, you know, how do you kind of, in, not entice, probably the wrong word, how do you actually attract these kind of celebrity type people to go on your your, your rally?
1: I'll tell you a funny story about Tama. So, um, basically, Canna Run was absolutely doing my head in. Um, like really doing me head in to the point where I was just like, I was nearly half had enough of the job. And I was in business with James at this time, but still business doesn't always go smoothly, as you know. Um, and I was sat around a pool in Marbella. I know that sounds mad that I was having a tough time sat around a pool in Marbella, but no matter, you know where you are in business, you could be anywhere in the world. And if your head's done in, your head's done in. So I get a phone call off a random number and it's this woman and it's just, her name's Camilla. Hi, this is Camilla calling. Um, is this the Canon runner? Like, yeah, hey, how's it going? Yeah, I'm Tama Hassan's manager, agent, whatever she said. And I watched, you know, Football Factory and Layer Cake and um, the business particularly when I was growing up. They were a few favourites of mine. And uh, so I was like, my manager at the time was sat on the other side of the pool and I was like, it's fucking Tama Hassan's manager's on the phone. What the fuck? And I was only young then. So it was like, Tam was a big celeb back then. He was like current, he was, the films were current. Um, And uh, so, yeah, so Tama, he basically basically said to me on the phone, Tama wants to come on the run. Um, He's got a car. He just wants to come on the trip. He's happy to do some promotion for you. He's happy to work with you guys on whatever you need. Um, And he wants to meet you all. So I was like, yeah, sound, that's mega. Um, Before that, Dapper was on the run the year before. Me and Dapper actually got on really well. I spent a lot of time with him, like to the point where he even flew out to Marbella to come and celebrate a birthday with me one time. Um, and the first time I met Tamar was on FaceTime to Dapper when we was in a McLaren on the Autobahn doing like 175 mile an hour. I wasn't on FaceTime. Dapper was on FaceTime with Tamar and he was like, look, Jay's driving, Rora. Right, right. So that was that was the first time. Um, yeah, so I, um, I'm a firm believer in activity breeds activity. So we're active 24-7, mate. It's nonstop and whether that be getting videos done, pushing content out, advertising the trips through Google ads, Facebook, Instagram ads. There's loads of different ways of obviously marketing your business, but the best way of marketing your business is in person for me. So I'm here, there and everywhere 24 seven, meeting people, networking and pushing every day. So yeah.
0: There's a lot of people in the car space. I've interviewed quite quite a few now, um, even some guys from from Canada called Daily Driven Exotics. I actually
1: watch that stuff. Big, again, if the guys are watching... Big fan. Yeah, I, I met them on the on the Gumble Rally and they're top top fellas. Um, they're the re- they're the reason my Aventador is currently blown up. So I'm holding Damon Fry directly responsible because I've seen him do his turbos on his F twelve and I went and strapped turbos on the Aventador straight away. I was like, if DD are doing it, a cannon runner doing it, so let's get the Aventador and let's twin turbo it. Did a year at a thousand horsepower and now it's in having a full engine rebuild. So thanks for the inspiration, guys. <laughs> Um so I've interviewed uh Laura
0: Shmi, uh Mr JWW, etc. Um is there like a little bit of crossover between what you do as in the, the rally or the run, but then also like social media car
1: influence type content. Can you explain a bit more about that? Yeah, so we have um we have a lot of lot of people come on our trips that want the content. So we've had we have plenty of YouTubers come on the events because Let's face it. If they can do it, like none of the people that you've mentioned there, by the way, but in general, if we have a YouTuber come who's got a really big following, and you know, YouTube is the modern television. Let's face it, um, then we're happy to do a deal with them where they come on the event, we can do them at a discounted rate. But obviously, in return, we're getting coverage to their network, aren't we? Which is going to generate future business and stuff for us. So, yeah, I think the um, the influencer side of the car world, I think, is very important. Um, I think um, they play a huge part in um, everybody expanding because obviously they're what the younger guys watch like we don't personally really do YouTube that much because I'm not a YouTuber I'm a, I'm a business I'm a brand we're, we're busy every day um, so yeah I think they play an important role in the motor in motorsport industry and um, I think a lot of the guys that do it are great and I think they've done really well to get in a position where they can afford to have this amazing lifestyle they've created through YouTube, I think it's phenomenal. Because like
0: Lord Elie, obviously he's got platinum uh, executive, executive yeah. tra- travel, uh, which is his main business. But then attached to it is the YouTube stuff. It's a bit like here again. Main business is <coughs> Woodbury House selling investment grade art. But then you also have the YouTube stuff, which is the podcast, which gives you a bit of social credibility. And another person who's completely smashed it is Yannick. You know, got a rapping car uh, business, but also has got the whole Yanomai's YouTube uh, channel, which also brings in revenue. So do you think that's the modern way of doing business these days, having a YouTube channel?
1: I think it can be a massive attribute to your business, 110%, no question about it. Whether it's for everybody is a different thing. I don't have time. I'm far too busy to have a videographer walking around with me 24 hours a day, seven days a week, capturing everything that I'm doing, for starters, the person would be tired out by week two. They wouldn't be able to keep up with the pace. I've been there and done it. And I'm not in a position in life where I need to gain extra revenue just through YouTube, even if it can produce a phenomenal amount of money because I'm quite a private person. My circle's very small. I can count my friends on one hand and I keep myself to myself. I know Instagram would portray a very different thing, but everything I talk about online is kind of me as a person, Jay. I'm very much a homebird. I'm very private. I'm very chilled and yeah that's that's my take on it
0: so going uh, touching back on the subject of influencers high profile people and also this world of social media andrew tate yeah um someone that is been <coughs> some someone that a lot of people do admire yeah and there's a lot of hatred towards him and so much so he's been cancelled but it appears like he's coming back and I saw recently on tamar hussein's Social media, he uh, was with him in Tam's Dubai. Tam's in Dubai now, yeah, with him, yeah. And Lord Aleem is on my podcast recently. He's also been in, in touch with him. Obviously, they've
1: both got the baguettes and stuff.
0: I've noticed that he's now a director Okay, so,
1: so we'll have, have to rewind about six years here. So forget all the fame, all the fortune, top G shit and all that. That, that was never Andrew Tate that I met. So I was driving through London. I was actually driving through Marble Arch just down the road about six years ago. I was in a white Ferrari, had cannon run all over the car and an Aston Martin came up behind me, a black one. And the number plate was T8 SPY. So all I seen was spy because tape back then meant nothing to nobody. Um, so he starts flashing his lights pull me over. So I pull the car over, jump out of the car. I'm like, you right, mate? What's up? This big guy gets out, two, ball dead. I'm like, oh, fuck's sake, here we go. So he's like, hey man, what's this cannon run? So I was like mega run, blah, 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 I told him all about it. He booked two cars there and then, but the two cars that he booked on, he hired from me because he only had one supercar back then. Um, and we got on really well, um, very similar people as in business-minded, driven, you know, got a lot of similar views on stuff, not on everything, but a lot of similar views on some stuff. Um, and he's a, he's a stand-on guy most of the time with stuff. So the relationship developed from there, I used to rent supercars to him before, like I said before, Top G was ever a thing. Andrew had a Ferrari off me for six months in actually in Romania. I actually delivered it to his house. I had to drive through Serbia. It was mental. Um, his business partner had a Rolls Royce Phantom off me for twelve months on hire. So um, yeah, the, the lad they've battled. They didn't always have the money that they've had, and we worked alongside them. You know, there was trips weren't always paid up front like they would be now. Like you always work with him a little bit if he needed to. Cash flow is a huge thing. Um, and yeah, we've sort of grown alongside him really, if you like. Um, and he's, he's he's become a friend. Um, he's, the stuff you see online with Andrew, there's a lot of cutting and shutting of videos there. And then you meet him in person, he's actually a gentleman, like a true gentleman. He's very softly spoken. He's very laid back. He's very quiet. He's not Mr. I am in front of people. He's just normal Andrew, especially when he's on the cannon run. He doesn't, there's not the big top G thing, isn't a thing. It's it's Andrew Tate on Canon run.
0: Um, I've noticed, feels like I'm interrogating you here, but um, he came on as a director 24th of March, 2022?
1: Yeah, so he came on as a director, as a non-executive director, that is, um, which means he doesn't own any of the business at that point. Um, so we do business with Andrew. Um, we've bought and sold cars with him and a few other bits and pieces. So he became a director of the Canon run um, and with a vision of bringing him into the business, um, officially into the business. Um, so we there was a meeting held in Romania. Um, there was a deal discussed, um, a deal agreed. Uh, and as I'm sure you probably saw, which is where your question is coming from, that there was some press that got out with some headlines about Andrew buying into the business for 1.5 million and, and all the rest of it. So at the moment, the deal is on ice. Um, we're, we're fully stand on people. We always do what we say we're going to do. Um, and circumstances change for some people. So at the moment, uh, we've left it alone. Um, I don't know if Andrew's in the same position he was six months ago, 12 months ago. Obviously, you can't believe everything you see on Instagram. Um So for us uh, at the moment, it's just, he's still a client. Yes, he's still a director. Yes, we'll still do business with him. But the percentage of the business that he was buying, I've parked that at the minute because unless somebody is, if I say to you, right, I'm coming down to you on, on Tuesday to do your podcast, I'll be there. So unless I'm feeling the same from everybody in the same time, then I don't move forward with stuff. Yeah. Well, do you know what? The only way I come to this is because,
0: when I look at any guests and do a little bit of research, just ask them, obviously, questions, if I type in your name into the internet, a lot of the time it'll say net worth. So I hit net worth to see if it comes up. And now a lot of the time, the net worth is way off and it's made up by some forum. But I like to ask it to the guests because it's just quite comical. Um, and for some reason, it led me to the uh, company's house. And then I saw... Because he's named Andrew Tate, but it's uh, is, there's another name. Emory. That's it. And I was like, is that really the Andrew Tate? Can't be the really Andrew Tate. Why the hell was Andrew Tate a part of the the, the Cannon Run? And I thought. So, and then I went on. I actually hit his name on there, and it's a kickboxer. And I was like, it is him. It's got to be him. And then below yeah. it, I saw Tamer Hussein, who was ex company director. Yeah, so Ta-
1: Tamer was a, was a director for twelve months. Yeah. yeah. Um so yeah, so Tate Tate's just Tate to me, bro. He's just he's just one of the lads. I speak to him daily. Um for, for me, like it's it's still a bit mad that he's world famous and he's, you know, this person now because for me he's only ever just been Andrew and just one of the lads who's so a good lad and we trust him and he trusts us and yeah, that's it. Is he is Andrew Tate as wealthy as he appears to be? Andrew Tate is extremely wealthy, mate. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise, let me tell you. He's got a lot of money, mate. A lot, a lot of money. And let me tell you, he's worked fucking hard for it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And uh, kickboxer?
1: Yeah.
0: I mean, I I, I box myself. uh, To become a world champion in anything you do takes a lot of graft. So
1: he's four times world kickboxing champion, and his brother Tristan is five times heavyweight world kickboxing champion. So I was going to say they're tough as nails. Tough as nails, mate. Yeah. (laughs) But, like, the best of the best, mate. If, 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 if If you're in the circle with them, and you're in that small sort of pocket... There's nothing that he won't do. He wouldn't do for you. If I rang him now and said, "Listen, I need to borrow a million quid today," he wouldn't ask me why. He wouldn't be any questions. He would just go send me the details. G. That's the level of trust that we have with him, and how much trust he's got in us. Um, on the note of the celebrities, high-profile people,
0: etc., who is the most famous person that you've ever been around because of the Cannon
1: Run? Um, well, I guess really not blowing smoke, but Tate was. Googled more times last month than Donald Trump and Kim Kardashian combined. He's probably is the most famous man on the planet right now. So I don't think there is anybody more famous that I could give you a name than. And he comes as a client on the mega run, particularly every single year. And he has done for the last six years. So that's the that's biggest name that you're going to know. I've, Any other top people? Yeah, we've had Mist, has been on Cannon Run several times. He um, he actually brings his missus now and has a great time and treats it as a proper holiday. He's also a real good lad. I get on really well with him. Um, obviously, Tamer, we've touched on. Tamer's amazing. You know, He's very charismatic. Um, he's a gentleman. He's very knowledgeable and um, he really loves Cannon Run as a brand. Like he's, he's got my back 10 out of 10. And that's, that's the thing that we kind of find with really. No matter who you are that comes into the brand, whether you're you know, your normal day-to-day person who's saved up to come on the event or if you're a wealthy individual or if you're a celebrity, everyone kind of sticks around as a family. It's like, once you come, you don't really leave. Um, yeah. And I think that's because you're surrounded by the same sort of like-minded people and they know we don't want nothing from them. We don't, you know, they don't want nothing from us, vice versa. It's it's nice to be around them, you know, that table. Um So part of the reason why I wanted you on the podcast talk
0: about cars, I love cars. Um, I, I actually don't have my own car at the moment. <laughs> okay. Um i just I don't, uh, i'm not going to cry for you you've got an art yeah, gallery in i mean I've, I've been so when i when i done the, the the gumball i i, I hired over there from canada um and the road and that just r- reminded me how much i love those t- sort of cars but i'm in at the moment a growing phase with two businesses here and also the property company and also this i would say three things and it i just don't drive enough uh to have a car at the moment i get a train uptown so you're and, coming on
1: Canada, run then or what what you coming on the trip then i would love to mate yeah i would love to um,
0: so anyway I want to talk about your cars okay, okay. so uh, the SV
1: Lamborghini it's one not, of my favourite cars it's not an SV it's
0: not an SV it's not an SV it looks like an SV it looks
1: like an SV so it's just a roadster yeah it's just an LP700 roadster yeah
0: right okay and it's a uh, twin turbo
1: it, it, it sort well it sort kind of is yeah <laughs> at the minute it's a bit poorly but yeah
0: so okay before it, before it blew up uh tell me why you bought the Aventador Roadster and why did you make it Twin Turbo?
1: I bought the Aventador Roadster because I crashed my Liberty Walk Ferrari on the Mega Run on the Hungaro ring. Car was writ off. I was devastated. Um, and fact is, we needed a, you know, another car as the business. You can't be the Canon runner and not have a supercar, can you? It's, it's mad. So they went and bought the Aventador. Um I've always wanted an Aventador. I think they are. Not the best supercar on the road, but I think they have the most presence by a long shot, especially for the money. You've got to go hypercar really to beat the presence of an Aventador. Um, So yeah, bought it, loved it, did two years of very pleasant, reliable, happy driving, and then twin turboed it and ruined everything. (laughs) So it was great while it lasted, mate. It was um, it was a thousand horsepower. It was an absolute monster. Um, The noises it made were ridiculous. It used to change and dump the the wastegates like an Evo, like a Mitsubishi Evo, but then have the V12 noise of a Lamborghini. It was crazy. Um, but I had loads of teething problems with it. Nobody in the UK, apart from there's one guy, but the car's actually not here anymore, has done a twin turbo Aventador. Everybody else has done twin turbo Hurricanes and R8s, which if you know your cars, it's a much easier procedure. Like you can be literally in and out at the right garage in a day with a twin turbo kit on a hurricane. So there was no book written for the event at all. There was no guide. There was no help. It was all, you know, start to finish a custom job. Um, and there was just too many problems with it, mate. And it really, it made me fall out of love with the car. Excuse me. It made me fall out of love with the car. Um, and then the final nail was when the engine went a little bit pear-shaped and yeah.
0: How much did, how much did that car in total, buying it? Doing it up, putting the lights on it, putting the wrap on it, doing everything. How much did the car cost you?
1: Oh mate. The car I paid two one five for from Phantom Motor Company. Um the twin turbo kit cost me about fifty grand when that was cheap at the time. It should have probably been seventy really. So that's two sixty five. Um, the kit cost me about 12 or 13 grand, so 275, let's say 280. Wheels, definitely 280 with the wheels. Um, and then now it needs another engine, so it's, you're talking 60, 70 grand for an engine.
0: How did you blow it up, though? Uh,
1: to be fair, we've not actually diagnosed where the problems appeared from yet. We can't work out if something in internals failed for a reason other than being thrashed, if you like, because at the time when the engine went, um, I wasn't I wasn't going quick at all, so it was quite a shock. But I changed gear and I said it, it dumped a load of blue smoke behind me. And if you know cars, you know blue smoke is a really bad sign. And then there was a little misfire. So change of plugs in it. Misfire got a bit better, um, but it's just it's just not right. So yeah, t- taking the engine out, putting a new engine in, and putting it back to standard. So it's back to re- reliable. Seven hundred horsepower is enough for anybody. Yeah. Um, so yeah. That's the Aventador.
0: I totally agree with you about the theatre and about the drama of a, of an Aventador. Um, obviously, we we me and my business partner just had a, like a standard one, which we wrapped it in um, the Richard Hamilton stop signs. I'll show you, show you a picture later, and it, that even sounded really really cool. The Didi boys had an SVJ, and they had a Katani exhaust on mental signs. Oh my sound. god! Yeah, I mean, there were. So P1s on there. There were some really, really big hyper cars. No sound. Nothing. No. Nothing. We even had a Bugatti on there. Mm. There wasn't anything that came close to that car.
1: There's no noise, mate, like it. There is no noise like it. And you touched on the Gintani exhaust. Um, there's a company in the UK called Deutsche Tech, and they've developed an exhaust system, which they're doing on my Lamborghini when it's done. So, Ben, if you're watching this, make sure you give me good discounts. I've just plugged you. Um, but they've developed an exhaust system, which, dare I say, it sounds a little bit better than Jintani, So So um, stay tuned for that, mate. I'd rather have that noise than turbo headache and just stay at 700 horsepower. Definitely. Um, twin,
0: sorry, you've also got a uh, Huracan, which is supercharged. Yes. So, Tell me a bit more about that car.
1: Um, I bought the car sort of kind of built, really. Um, one of my, my sponsors, uh, they're called Valo Industrial Services, they bought the car uh, they paid something mad like 25 grand to have the car painted in McLaren M- MSO gray, which is almost white um, full in and out job. I think it was actually done at a McLaren um, agent like main agent. Um, and then it was sent to JM imports for a S- uh, Cyvex ECU system which is it gives you better launch control, it gives you better engine readings and it's much more tunable than a stock ECU. and then it had a VF supercharger fitted with a smaller pulley. So it's about 850, 860 horsepower. Um, it's not twin-turbo power by a long shot, but it's phenomenal off the mark because it's there's no lag from any turbos. Um, it's a great car. Um, I've enjoyed it thoroughly. I've actually just taken a deposit on it. So that's probably going to be going um, in the next two to three weeks.
0: And I see uh, you, uh, you just bought a Ferrari F8?
1: No, it's not an F8. It's an SF90. Okay. Um, it's the fastest production car Ferrari have ever made in the history. It's faster than an Enzo, it's faster than a LaFerrari, a Perta LaFerrari. Um, It's the first hybrid Ferrari, so it's got three electric motors. It can drive on full electric mode, but it also has uh, 780 horsepower from a twin-turbo V8 in the back. So um, it's four-wheel drive, 70% power to the back, 30% power to to the front. Um, It weighs nearly two tons because of the battery that are in it, but it does 0-60 in 2.4, 2.5 seconds. It's phenomenal. Um, Very expensive car. I'm still a little bit kind of unsure what to do with it. When I drove it up the road the other day, it felt like, this may sound mad, but it's probably a little bit too good for us. Do you know what I mean? Because we do all these rallies and all this traveling and our cars get a little bit more of a harder life than... Your average Ferrari owner who polishes it on a Sunday and takes it to the breakfast meet like we're active as as you know. So um, with the value of the vehicle, it's it's I'm just it's actually not a supercar. It's it's a hypercar. Um, that's what it's been dubbed as by Ferrari, their first sort of hypercar apart from well, after the the La Ferrari, of course. Um, so I don't know what to do with it. I'm one part of me is absolutely gagging to get in it and take it up a runway and race everybody, but the other half of me is like. It's time to be a little bit sensible now you've done all that stuff when you were young you've raced lambos you've twin turbo stuff you don't need to be doing that to a brand new card so yeah i'm kind of having that argument in my own head at the minute what of course you won't. Uh, how long have we got um i've got a few um i've got a 1993 lamborghini diablo um which has just had a full restoration um, and when they say don't drive your dream, it's true, let me tell you, because it ruined everything for me. I had a yellow Diablo on my bedroom wall when I was a kid and I loved them and now I hate them because they drive horrendously, but they look great. Um, I've got a, well, I've just sold a beautiful Ferrari Tester that actually went last week and so did our wide body F12. I don't know if you saw the red F12. So we had one 1 of 13 in the world at Duke Dynamics, uh, carbon-bodied Ferrari F12, but I sold that last week as well. Um, what else have we got at the moment? I've got a BMW um, 1 Series, which is a full BTCC-spec race car apart from the engine. Uh, the engine is a BMW M3 built by Cosworth, producing 460 horsepower naturally aspirated. But when I say BTCC spec, it's got motorsport subframes, AP brakes, ProFlex suspension, AP pedal box, Hockley BTCC spec cage in it. Uh, it's a mad bit of kit. Um, we've got an Audi R8 twin supercharged at the moment, which is a thousand horsepower. Uh, McLaren 720s. Um, I have to write them all down. Honestly, we've got so much stuff kicking about. It's I've got and, uh, I've got some Jap stuff. Uh, Uh, R34 Skyline Um, Mitsubishi Evo 9 GT which is a 5 speed manual with the stronger diffs Um, an RS Turbo from the 90s it's actually a 90 spec car Um, Mercedes SL Um, we've got loads and loads of cars mate, kicking around all over the place we've got a 72 plate Lamborghini Urus with a Mansory kit Um, I'm actually selling that it's a beautiful car Um, but I think it's only only 900 miles or 1000 miles so gonna sell that before the value falls
0: well what um car do you turn up in today
1: uh just we've, we've got a mercedes glc 63 um which everybody just kind of jumps in and uses at work um and when the weather's bad that's that's what we come out in so obviously there's snowing at the moment and car being left in the street in london and stuff so yeah
0: and what's um like your dream uh, the vision for for you and and buying other
1: cars my dream car, like the pinnacle for me is, is even though it's not as fast as the SF90 and it's probably maybe not as pretty to some people as a Bugatti Chiron would be a La Ferrari Aperta. I think Ferrari is the, the real daddy of the supercar industry. Um, I know Lamborghini is a phenomenal, and I'm a Lamborghini fan, as you know, massively. Um, and I'm a Bugatti fan as well, of course. But I think Ferrari have just got that extra bit of class over everybody else. Yeah. And I think the LaFerrari, when when you see it, when you between the, the the noise of the V12 and the look of the car and the Ferrari heritage and all the rest of it, the, the, the LaFerrari is the one for me. Um, so with with your brand, it's been going now for about eight years. Um, where do you see it going over the next, like five, ten, fifteen, twenty years? I don't. I, I don't look at that. People ask me this all the time: Where do you see yourself in ten years? I don't see myself anywhere in ten years. What I see myself doing is continuing this work rate and this pace for the next 10 years and let everything else unfold and then i I will see where i am in 10 years because hard work works as you know um and i know the saying is probably a little bit cliche but consistency is the key to success mate it definitely is um so for me the plan is to be consistent to keep working to not take my foot off the gas and to absolutely smash the next 10 years out as i have done for the previous 10 years clearly you've got to be passionate with with business
0: and also cars because they go hand in hand with your business but let's be honest the only real way that these things can be maintained is if you generate revenue and money how important is making money to you
1: love it mate the, the, you know doing a deal is the same buzz as some of the best things I've ever experienced in my life. Like when you get that deal over the line, you know, even if it's a new mega run customer that comes on, I still get that same buzz now from signing up a new person to my brand as I did on day one. And I don't think that I'll ever fade. Like I love the deal. I love the chase. I love the sale. And I think that's, that's been bred in me from a young age. You know, my dad was always heavily involved in business sales of all sorts of different stuff, scrap metal, cars, businesses, property, um, so for me, you know, it's 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 always been a real important part of it. And I, whether it's a car that's been bought and sold or a, we've bought a property or like this week we, we actually purchased a yacht, which is, that's been on my bucket list for a long time.
0: Um, I was going to ask you actually, I saw the Instagram post three days ago and it, the quote was, I'm paraphrasing a bit, today we've just purchased a 78-foot yacht.
1: I mean, how has that come about? <laughs> Mate, honestly, um, for me, that's like a big Big, big, big thing for me. Like I've, I, when I when I, met, when I met my business partner, James, he owned a big share in another boat in Marbella. Um, boat shares, if you don't know, are a thing. You can own a portion of a yacht for a much cheaper price. Obviously, a lot of people can't spend their full time on them anyway. So James had a share in a, in a, in a yacht and that kind of, when he took me on it, I was like, wow. And this was only a 50 foot yacht and I'm sat on it. Like this is going back six, you know, five, six years ago. And ever since then, it's been on my bucket list, it's been on my hit list. Um, and me and James did everything together, Like, and I keep pecking him, I'm like, oh come on, well, let's have another boat row. And he's like, no, 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 I'm done with it, I'm done with it, I'm done with it. And one of our friends who lives in Jersey, he took this particular yacht in part exchange on some property. And he rang us um, and sent us the brochure for the boat, and th- a, there was a uh, a digital PDF to go through and stuff. No, not a digital PDF, sorry, what's it called? A virtual tour, which you go through on your phone, it's like a video of the whole thing. And we sat there looking at it and it was just for the money that the boat is and the value that we're getting, I, I couldn't not buy it. Um And I, as I'm sure you probably saw in the post, um, I've opened the door for maybe a couple of people to come on as shareholders. Only a small percentage. I only want to really sell two eighths of the boat. Um, But I would only do it with friends or someone that I know is substantial in business that's going to look after it the way that I would treat my own stuff because... That that will become a second home for me and James, um, you know, as, as we use it and keep it. So, yeah, big big milestone for us, that mate. Well, partic- particularly for me, anyway. Um, still a little bit in awe, really, to be honest.
0: Yeah, it's incredible, incredible achievement. I've got a friend of mine um, who has a, a boat in uh, Marbella, Turkish guy. He's got the, one of the largest private care homes in the country. He just got rid of. Forgot it's called Matus it means like in turk it's like war boat or something and now he's got a new one which is bigger and it's called tucson so you'll see it there it's um pangia right by pangia okay yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's it's absolutely cute so yeah i mean f- for me in in the future if i could get a boat of any magnitude really like a decent one it's definitely a big 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 tick
1: well for for, for me like the boat obviously prices on yachts are phenomenal as you know and like you ain't getting nothing good for under a million quid and when this one came up it's got this has got four double bedrooms with en-suites on every bedroom it's a big old thing like um, and I just couldn't couldn't really say no and wouldn't get that opportunity again so
0: yeah Uh, so just outside of cars and also boats and stuff and I can see here here you like your, your nice watches and stuff like that how do you treat yourself when you actually
1: make some money um you won't really ever see me wearing anything too much designer. I like a nice pair of trainers. I've got the odd pair of, I've got a couple of pairs of Louis Vuitton trainers, a couple of pairs of Versace trainers, but nothing nothing ridiculous or out of the ordinary. Um, and I'll only ever buy something like a watch if I know I've got money safe in it. So like this watch, there's always gonna be worth 15 grand, that's it. Money's always gonna be safe, it's sound. Um, so if I'm gonna treat myself, if we ever do well in business, I'll try and buy something which I know is an asset rather than go and spend an 800 quid on a Louis Vuitton tracksuit or five grand on a Louis Vuitton coat, which you're going to wear five times and then it's worth a grand or it's worth nothing because it's a tracksuit which you've had your sweaty balls in. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) So for me, I'd rather wear my own brand every day. I've got my own apparel range and stuff. Why would I go and spend... A thousand quid on a track suit. I'm not saying I haven't done it in the past because I have when I was younger, but now as I've got older, it's not. I don't feel the need to. I don't want to. I'm not interested. Um, designer gear is great, but let's have it right, mate. The quality ain't even always there, is it? Yeah. So yeah. for me, don't mind buying a nice pair of trainers because obviously your feet are important and a watch is sound or a bit of jewellery is all right because your money is always safe if you get it in the trade. Yeah. But for designer gear, mate, I'm not interested in wasting the money.
0: Yeah. Um, I really enjoyed having this conversation with you, mate. Like I said, before to you on there and off off out, you know, cars, art, lifestyle, it all goes hand in hand. And um, no doubt our paths will cross some point in the future, whether that's business or whether that's us coming on the Cannon Run or, or, or whatever else. Um, I always ask my podcast guest this last final question, which goes like this. When I first started my first brand, I came up with a mantra, which is be happy, never content. So if I was to ask
1: you, Jay Cannon, What does be happy, never content mean to you? Be happy, never content for me would mean be happy with what you're doing, but never feel content to the point where you get lazy or complacent. That's how I would take that. So be happy, make sure you're enjoying your life, but don't be lazy. Don't become too complacent. Don't get too content because that's when you can start slipping, especially in business. Definitely.
0: All right. Top man, mate. Thank you very much for your time and uh, I look forward to getting this one out. Be happy, never content and make sure you subscribe. Thank you.
1: Thanks for having me mate, appreciate it. Cool.